Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. I should say that we're a couple weeks behind on posting to the podcast platforms. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this at one time weekly radio program. Now we kind of manage it best we can. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm excited to be back in studio for another new episode. We're going to uh, start with a check of the weather and a couple of newsworthy news items, and then we'll get into the main body of the program. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, October 28th. Greetings. Today, partly sunny with a high of 55. Tonight, partly clear with a low of 29. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 61. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more of the forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone. It makes me so happy to have Jake doing our, our weather. It's that was a good switch. So I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Matthew Hill. He's working the soundboard, sound engineer extraordinaire. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Kind of managed two weeks in a row here. We're like back on a streak. <laughs> it's not going to last. We have a special guest joining us this morning, but before I introduce our guest, I want to talk about a couple newsworthy items. Um, and in the interest of transparency and disclosure, I think the most the most pertinent newsworthy item is actually PPD-related news, and that is the unfortunate delay in the implementation of our body cam program. Uh, I'm getting a text message that there's something wrong with our cameras. I don't know. <laughs> to get tech support back in. There we go. Thank you for that. Um, so we were supposed to roll out the body cam pilot project this week. And if you're familiar with some of the stuff that happened in, in, it was reported in the local media, we had to delay it at the last minute. Uh, we can't get into the details of the reason for the delay. I can tell you it is not related to the technology of the cameras or the actual policy surrounding the cameras. It's a separate, uh, it's a, it's a separate issue. Um, but we have to, in good faith, deal with that issue in order to make sure that our people um, are comfortable with proceeding with the pilot project. So we've made efforts to schedule some meetings to kind of hammer that issue out so we can get this back on track. So uh, more to come on that in the upcoming weeks. Uh, other newsworthy items uh, today, tonight, tonight is the uh, Halloween parade. Back after a couple year hiatus, the Halloween parade is back in full swing in person. That's uh, a special event that is sponsored by the um, Parks and Recreation section of our Office of Community Development. So they've been working hard to bring that back. And then Trick or Treat in the City is on Monday, uh, on the 31st. So um, it, is, it was not moved to the weekend. It, does, it is on Monday. So um, make your plans for that. If you're like me and you're a last minute shopper, this is the weekend to go out and get your candy. Um, I think that's enough of the news items. So 
let's let's get to the program. So as I said, we have a special guest joining us to do today. I'm kind of excited about this one. Uh, I don't think, well, a couple things. I don't think that most Massachusetts residents are aware that the MSPCA, the Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, has a law enforcement branch. They have an actual peace officer uh, division that enforces the laws of the Commonwealth, particularly those laws regarding animal abuse and neglect. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show, uh, you watch the program, you know that our former animal control officer, uh, retired officer Joe Shaggy, who was very involved in the Animal Control Officer Association of Massachusetts, ACOM. Um, Joe did a lot of work with um, our guest's predecessor. And unfortunately for animal advocates in Western Mass, right around the same time that Joe decided to finally, for good, uh, announce and commit to his retirement, so did his partner from the MSPCA, Roy. And so there's a lot of turnover and a lot of transition in animal protective services here in Western Mass. But I'm pleased and thrilled to welcome and introduce Roy's replacement, uh, Bill LaSalle from MSPCA. Uh, and we'll get into it in a little bit more detail as we get into the program. But I recently had the opportunity in my role as the post commissioner to offer some comments during a uh, public meeting um, of the post commission because we actually had to take up the MSPCA uh, officers as well as their counterparts from the Boston Animal Rescue League because when police reform legislation was written and enacted in 2020, it didn't include the police officers from um, ALR or ARL and uh, MSPCA. So we had to get them covered and we managed to do that. And uh, Bill's boss, uh, Tommy Grenham, is a friend and colleague of mine. Uh, we actually went to Israel together. So I was happy to uh, speak on behalf of the MSPCA and their counterparts at Tommy's request. So welcome, Bill. Thank you, Chief. Uh, very glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. I have to, uh, have to tell our viewers and listeners that I, I literally ran in here at 0900 as the intro was rolling out and there was some traffic stuff on the way. Uh, but that's not news to any of our longtime listeners and viewers. I frequently run into traffic stuff on the way to the, to the station. So thanks for coming. Uh, generally, when we have a guest in studio, we like to start with learning, you know, some of the more personal stuff, learning a little bit about our guest before we start talking about the work. So tell us about yourself, where you're from, what brought you to your current role with the MSPCA? Well, uh, I do live in Western Mass uh, in my position with the MSPCA. I cover the four counties primarily uh, in Western Massachusetts. Uh, I was formerly uh, covered by two officers, so I have the four counties in addition to uh, western uh, Worcester County as well. Um, I began my law enforcement career uh, when I was 20 years old, back in uh, 1988. I was a police officer for uh, in Northampton. Uh, spent uh, a couple of years, two, three, four years there. Uh, then I uh, joined the state police. My first duty station was in Cheshire. So uh, I love the Berkshires. I spent four years in Cheshire. Uh, and uh, then I moved over to a district attorney's office in Springfield. So I worked major crime for several years, primarily homicide investigations, and uh, left there uh, to 
you know, back to uniform, uh, more conducive to family life with a young family. And um, moved up uh, in rank and uh, retired two years ago. And uh, and I took a job with the MSPCA. You know, these opportunities come up very rarely with the MSPCA. We're a small department of eight sworn officers and uh, cover the entire state. And you know, with my passion for animal welfare, um, it's uh, it was a very good match for me, and I couldn't be happier. Right, so a couple follow-up questions. So your first law enforcement job was with Northampton PD. Shout out to Northampton PD, outstanding police department. Uh, are you from the Northampton area? Are you from the Valley? Yes. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, he was born in, uh, and grew up in Saugus and uh, Amesbury. I was in the service in the Navy and met my mom. She was a nurse at uh, Mass General. She was from out here in East Hampton. And uh, they eventually, within a about four years, moved back to East Hampton uh, to be closer to her, you know, my grandparents. And um, so I grew up in East Hampton. Cool. Local high schools. Did you play sports in school? Uh, yeah, played soccer. Uh, I tried basketball, but definitely uh, you know, after a few laughs at my uh, layup ability, you know, that uh, went by the wayside. We have that in common. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up playing, uh, you know, Baseball, little league, and uh, played hockey up until high school, and with the Catholic schools, but you know they didn't have a hockey team, even though we tried. So but, when I, the re, one of the reasons I asked that question is, anytime I meet somebody who went to school in the East Hampton, North Hampton, that kind of area, I always ask what their sports were because I was a wrestler, yeah. and we regularly traveled east so that I could have my head handed to me by the wrestlers in the Hamptons, Agawam, and I mean in the late eighties. Mm. good wrestling to the east of us not not necessarily as good here we just got our clocks cleaned so i always want to know if i'm talking to somebody who may have like literally beat me up back in the day <laughs> well definitely not a wrestler that wasn't my thing so. <laughs> all right so what was your last assignment with the state police before you went over to MSPCA? um i was a, a detective lieutenant i commanded a uh Narcotics units called the Sinret team. Okay, and I believe you have one of your detectives on Sinret West. On Sinret yeah, West, yeah, absolutely. So um, I was picked to start up the unit back in uh, 2018. Sinret's been putting up some amazing arrests. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's I was very honored to uh, have been asked to to start that up and um, you know with the highest level uh, you know drug organizations, yeah. you know, transnational, and uh, just the partnership with the Municipal PDs, uh, the federal, uh, uh, the federal uh, agencies, and state police. It uh, truly a vision that, at the time, uh, Dermot Quinn uh, for the state police uh, saw. That's amazing. Well, thank you for your efforts to stand that up because that is a that is a highly performing unit, and we're lucky to have them out there doing the interdiction stuff that they're doing. Okay, so MSPCA, Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Uh, you know, I think when most people hear SPCA, they think of the sad music, teary-eyed commercials from, you know, in the middle of a football game. And they're like, oh, you know, they, they do animal rescue. They, they adopt pets. And that's part of what SPCA nationally does. But in Massachusetts, the SPCA not only does that part of stuff uh, through some of the local humane societies, They've got this investigative and enforcement component as well. Um, so can you talk a, a little bit about why 
MSPCA does why, why don't they just have other police officers do those investigations why do they have their own police department well I think it goes back to you know the beginnings of the uh, animal welfare, welfare uh, beginnings of animal welfare uh, the social movement back in the 1860s uh, the MSPCA uh, in 1868 well, was founded uh, by uh, George Thorndike Angel and actually the MSPCA now are Corporate name or nonprofit name is MSPCA Angel, uh, and uh, Mr. Angel he was a uh, reformist, uh, he was a lawyer, uh, and he was deeply committed to uh, social reform. In 1868, uh, he read an article about two riders who rode two horses in a race uh, to death uh, on a 40-mile trip. Uh, he was abhorred. Uh, he wrote a letter to the uh, a Boston newspaper, and that caught the attention of a woman named of Emily Appleton, and she loved animals. She was socially prominent in the Boston area, and uh, with her backing, uh, within a mere four weeks, um, he founded the MSPCA in 1868. Within a short 12 weeks. Um, uh, in large part due to Mr. Angel and Emily, uh, the first Massachusetts anti-cruelty laws, animal cruelty laws, were enacted. Um, so I'm going to interrupt you for a second because that that backstory is amazing. But if you're a listener and you're not watching this on the on the television feed, more amazing is that Bill just did that entire history and backstory by memory without referring to his notes. <laughs> All right. So first animal cruelty laws in the Commonwealth. I imagine these were some of the first animal cruelty laws in the nation. Uh, they were. Uh, the ASPCA in New York, right around this time, uh, there was a lot of attention. Pennsylvania, uh, SPCA as well, they were coming around this time. Along with the MSPCA, there was communication uh, nationally. Um, in the 1870s, uh, a few years later, a short few years later, uh, the MSP uh, had paid and uh, hired uh, investigators uh, to investigate animal cruelty. Um, and they did have uh, law enforcement ability at that time. Uh, our department, uh, full-time Department of Animal Cruelty, began roughly around uh, 1917, 1918. And I uh, did some research on uh, the old newspapers on uh, microfiche and, you know, so I, I saw the work they were doing as far back as the 1920s and 30s and, you know, the one gentleman who uh, covered the Western Mass area back then in the cases that he worked that were publicized. And, um, you know, it still is. It's unique, I think, to SPCA, um, you know, to you know, animal, uh, animal uh, societies, you know, to have paid actual police officers, law enforcement officers that conduct uh, high-level animal cruelty investigations. And... Um, you know, what we can bring, I mean, when I was a municipal police officer and even state police, I mean, I, I don't think I had any training on animal cruelty investigations. It, it was only in the last couple of years that it even got introduced into the academies. Yeah, and I remember getting calls, uh, working out of Cheshire, uh, working out of the Northampton barracks. Uh, somebody would call and say, I have a, uh, you know, there's a skinny horse or a horse with no shelter. Uh, can you go take a look at it? And I was like, well, What's a skinny horse look like? I had family that horses, cousins, and I knew, but so I grew up with uh, horses for you know my 
childhood, but um, so um, so and oftentimes, you know, police departments would just tell people call it out, you know, just call animal control. Yep. And uh, with us and uh, just the people that I've met on the MSPCA and uh, the commitment, that's what we do full time. I mean, you know, the training that they send us to, the training we continue to go through on an annual basis and just the repetitiveness ongoing on thousands of calls, you know, for service each year. So, you know, I'm, I'm an animal lover, a, a rescue from the Berkshire Humane Society, and my wife and I have a cat, and we um, have shared joint custody of the department's comfort animal, so sometimes Officer Winston stays with us. And so I understand the importance of this, but I wanna, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a listener who, who maybe doesn't have that affinity or love for animals. And so, you know, I think some people might be saying, okay, so yeah, it's bad to mistreat animals, but so what? Why, why does my police department care? Why would the Pittsfield Police Department um, think it's important that we learn about this police agency? Um, animal, animal cruelty... Animal abuse, animal neglect is oftentimes a, a symptom of other types of maladaptive behaviors. And so um, there's, we've talked about it on previous shows when we've had Officer Shaggy or Officer Lysian or some of our, even some of our counterparts from the Humane Society. Uh, it, it's bigger than just worrying about what's happening to the animals because somebody who will mistreat an animal probably is engaged in some other types of behaviors that we might have a, a law enforcement interest in. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So I think early, um, I don't even know if I had gone to the academy yet. I just, I, I was fascinated by law enforcement and investigations. And I think one of the most, the earliest lessons I learned um, in just reading investigative texts is that there is a, known and demonstrated correlation, particularly among uh, youthful offenders, between animal cruelty and fire-starting behavior. And that uh, offender who engages in both of those acts at the same time, or you know, simultaneously in the same time period, is also very likely to engage in violence directed against humans. Yes. It, it, it's almost predictive of future acts of violence. So there's something to be said about having a strong cooperative relationship between local law enforcement, municipal law enforcement, state law enforcement, and our counterparts who focus their attention on animal advocacy and animal investigations because your offenders, in many cases, are gonna be our offenders. Uh, in, in many cases, some of our more serious offenders. Uh, so can you elaborate a little bit on, on that connection and, and where the cooperation between different agencies comes in to support investigations? Yes. Um, like you said, Chief, uh, there definitely is a correlation. Uh, it was an empirical study uh, that was conducted by, I believe it was Northeastern uh, several years ago. The MSPCA assisted on that, that linked uh, domestic abuse, uh, you know, animal cruelty, the linkage between both. Um, uh, with children, uh, with juveniles, uh, on those cases where uh, I respond to allegations of uh, animal abuse by juveniles, uh, it's imperative uh, to get the local police department involved. Uh, they can start their social services if need be uh, going. Uh, 
you know, our authority with the MSPCA is strictly with animal cruelty. You know, we are mandated reporters for, uh, for child abuse. Um, we do have full law enforcement authority, you know, strictly with animal uh, cruelty, though. So in every investigation um, of a serious nature, you know, we have the local police department assist us. Uh, the animal control officers are essential. Uh, uh, I, you know, I couldn't do my job without the uh, assistance of our animal control officers uh, are highly dedicated in Western Massachusetts overall and our police departments. It's key. And, you know, with juveniles and with, you know, violent offenders, um, uh, you know, if we go out on these calls, it's always in my mind, uh, you know, to, to, you know, could this be a case of uh, domestic abuse as well? And I found that, you know, especially with uh, animal cruelty cases of a violent nature, intentional uh, cruelty, uh, beating, tormenting, um, uh, more times than not, overwhelmingly, there's a, a criminal history, a violent criminal history in that person's past. So when we've had animal control officers out in the past, uh, particularly Officer Shaggy, but also Officer Lisi, um, and we've also had uh, John Perrault from the Berkshire Humane Society on, we talk about the Haven program, which is a joint program between law enforcement, uh, domestic violence, and sexual assault advocacy, in our particular case, the Elizabeth Friedman Center, and animal control or uh, animal enforcement, animal rights enforcement. And so um, there's two, really there's two elements that I try to emphasize when we talk to somebody who works in this realm. One is that, so we, we recognize that domestic violence, intimate partner violence is, is a power imbalance. It's, a, it's, a, it's an effort to exert power by the abuser over their abused. And one of the ways that they can do that is they, they can leverage the pets. They essentially hold the pets hostage or threaten the pets in order to exert authority and power over their victim. But the other part is even when the victim has made a decision, a safety decision for themselves that they're, they want to leave, in many cases they won't leave their pet. Yes. Right. And so we have victims that we could offer to put in shelter, but if we can't offer shelter to the animal, they won't go. Um, so that that nexus in investigating and uh, trying to rescue victims in domestic violence is critical that we understand this connection and that we have collaboration and cooperation. Because in this particular case, you know, our humane society is part of our safety plan for domestic violence victims. Yes. Um, and I, I don't think if you don't work in law enforcement or, you, you know, haven't experienced that in your life with somebody you love, you can, you can understand how, how much stock a victim might put in the safety of their animals. Yes. To their own detriment. Okay. So you've got a lot of notes in front of you and I feel like I've been steering this conversation. So I just want to, uh, I want to open this up a little bit more and let you talk about your work and your agency. Yeah. So as I said before, um, we, uh, it was roughly about, uh, 2017 when the first, uh, law, uh, gave us full, uh, police authority, uh, us in Boston animal rescue league and actually, uh, the Berkshire humane society did for a period of time too, uh, way back in the day. Um, employed uh, full-time law enforcement officers to investigate solely animal cruelty. Um, 
Uh, right now, there's six of us uh, covering uh, the entire state. Uh, we have two supervisors that assist as needed and obviously uh, do the administrative uh, work like Chief Grenham. Uh, we also have two animal welfare officers. They're non-sworn. Uh, they do all the intake uh, in Boston. Uh, so if, you if a citizen files a complaint, whether it's online, uh, whether it's uh, via phone, uh, they will be the ones that uh, triage and the, uh, the calls out to the appropriate officer in their jurisdiction. So m my area uh, is Berkshire County, Hampshire, Franklin County, Hamden County, and Western Worcester County. And my typical day is um, um, I'll plan my week as far as, you know, you know on, on a Friday or before, I'll plan my week uh, for interviews or uh, responses to cases that come in. Uh, on the weekends, uh, we don't staff the intake line, but we are notified of uh, any, uh, you know, we get the uh, calls that come in on our phones. So we'll see, and if it's an emergency, um, you know, we'll call that person back. If not, you know, we'll, our animal welfare officers will make the call uh, on Monday morning. Um, so my typical day is, uh, you know, if I get a call assigned to me, um, if uh, I have to triage myself too, just out of the large area that I cover. Um, if I was to go out on every call, um, I wouldn't be able to conduct proper investigations and uh, assess each case. So that's when our animal control officers, they can be my eyes and ears for the initial uh, look. Um, and uh, they are essential just to be successful in these type of uh, investigations. So um, uh, I, uh, I would call an animal control officer and this is the situation and you know, I have a general feel if it's something I need to go out on right away with animal control or a police department, or if it's something that the animal control officer can handle initially. And, um, and the caseload, um, it's with my year and a half of being here, it's, it's, uh, it's busy. It's busy. I mean, that's an enormous catchment area for you. That, that's got to be, that's got to be 150 municipalities easy in those four and a half counties. Yeah, uh, there is, and uh, the police departments that call for our assistance and animal control, you know, animal control officers oftentimes are the experts for the police departments and when it comes to animal, and the animal inspectors for uh, certain towns and cities as well. And uh, certain uh, animal control, uh, longtime animal control officers, I know if my phone rings for them, I know it's something serious usually. And um, it is an enormous area. It can be. Uh, but, again, without the partnerships, uh, you know, from the police departments and the animal control officers, uh, it would be very difficult to keep up. But we do manage to keep up and, you know, triaging the important cases. And, you know, most of our cases, you know, we aim to, you know, through persuasion to get people, uh, you know, some people, uh, many people don't intend, you know, to mistreat animals. You know, they think they're doing right, maybe, but, um, you know, we try through persuasion and education to get them on the right side of the law, uh, or if they're heading towards the wrong side of the law, uh, t to, you know, make adjustments to their care and uh, custody of their animals. Uh, and only if they don't, if that fails, then, you know, we're left to, you know, the only thing left is uh, prosecution within the confines of the law. So what I like about my job is, you know, the education ability, working with people. Um, you know, people are, you know, people like all of us, we're all different. 
in different ways. Generally, most people take really good care of their animals. You know, they might run into difficulty, and if they do, um, the big thing is trying to get the word out there's help. And sometimes people are stubborn, or sometimes they're, they don't know. Um, there is help. There's plenty of uh, organizations from Berkshire Humane Society in Berkshire County uh, for the MSPCA, uh, to other animal rescue groups. And, you know, if uh, you're worrying about being able to pay for a veterinary bill and your animal's suffering, you know, make the call. Reach out to somebody. You know, you know there's help there for you. The, I, it always amazes me, and this, this is... This is going to sound critical, and it's not. Um, it's just, it's one of those things that I've seen time and time again. And so we talk about it on the show because we get our you know, our off, our community engagement officers involved in all kinds of charitable activities. And we live in a very very generous area. I don't care what it is, you know, if it's law enforcement torch run, Special Olympics, um, basketball cop foundation. What a very generous area. Nothing elicits more donor support than animals. It, yes. It's insane. <laughs> um, you know, we could have the best cause in the world. We put a puppy on that um, on that poster, and it just opens yes. the spigots. Yeah. So, you know, and it goes back, you know, to the history of animal welfare in our country too. It's just, you know, how it's fired up people even way back in the 1860s, and it continues yeah. to today. And and it's a good thing. I mean, it's you know, and if you advocate for. Uh, you know, humane uh, caring of animals, especially at an early age. And uh, I think, you know, the hope is that, you know, that will lead to, you know, when the children get older that, you know, they treat people in society and animals and people, you know, better throughout their life. All right, we need to pause for a station identification break and some PSAs, another check of the weather. We're going to come back. I'm going to tell a story about my introduction to MSPCA uh, back in the 70s and my personal connection to the Humane Society. And then we'll get back to some detailed questions about animal investigations. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, October 28th. Greetings. Today, partly sunny with a high of 55. Tonight, Partly clear with a low of 29. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 61. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more of the forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in WTBRFM.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond, offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at CountyAMB.com. 
Pittsville residents, have you heard about Code Red? It's the city's emergency alert program, and it keeps you informed on the latest updates and notifications, including but not limited to weather-related emergencies, road closures, and water main breaks. So stay connected and be informed. Text Pittsfield to 99411 to enroll or visit cityofpittsfield.org to sign up. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Are we back? Yep. All right. So um, just to clarify for our, our listeners, because I think at the beginning of that last segment, um, Bill said, go back to 2017. It was 1917, right? We're talking about rights, um, laws being written in the period between the end of the Civil War and the kickoff of World War One. Right? We're, we're, there's that much history here. Uh, and you also mentioned that the Berkshire Humane Society had a, a its own local history of law enforcement activity within the organization. So viewers and listeners have heard me talk in the past about the fact that uh, I still live in the neighborhood I grew up in um, for you know a variety of family reasons. About 18 years ago, um, my parents moved out to my grandparents' farm to take care of my grandmother. I moved in to our, our family home. And then after we had been there, kind of stabilizing the family situation, I was out for a run one day and I ran by my current home, which was in the neighborhood uh, and had got, just gone on the market. And so we bought the house, mom, mom and dad came back to Pittsfield. And so I live about 120, maybe 130 yards from the house I grew up in on the same street. And 100 yards in the opposite direction from my parents' house, uh, in a home in a residence that is now occupied by one of my city colleagues was the former home of the Berkshire Humane Society or in its previous incarnation, the, the Pittsfield office of the MSPCA. And so growing up in Pittsfield in the mid 70s, um, one of the first places I was allowed to wander off unaccompanied by an adult was to the MSPCA. And I could walk down there after school or on Saturdays. And I probably made a nuisance of myself because I would go and, you know, look at the um, animals in their kennels and ask to walk the dogs. But it always struck me that when I would walk down there, particularly like on a, a summer day. So there's, there's a large house where uh, the, the, I don't even know who they were, the caretakers lived. And then attached to the house is a fairly significant garage barn. And in the basement of that barn were the kennels, the sheltered kennels. Um, and on the upper level in that barn was the, and I, I described it, you know, the only way I knew how when I was a kid, the animal ambulance, which was like a late 60s suburban, completely tricked out with police lights. Uh, and they would park it on the apron of the garage, just like a fire truck would be parked for maintenance today. And so I have vivid, vivid memories of walking down 
to the old humane society uh, and seeing the MSPCA officer out there washing washing his ambulance and his cruiser and then going and checking out the animals. We do that. My brother and I would do that all the time. And they were in that space, I don't even remember, when um, they had to do the fundraising to move to the new facility on Barker Road. Uh, and one of the reasons that they had to is that my neighborhood is in the 100-year floodplain. And at one point, I think I was in either late elementary school or early middle school, the, the shelter flooded. And so they had to move to higher ground. So it been traipsing around the MSPCA slash Berkshire Humane Society for over 40 years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, John Peralt, you know, former, from what I understand, former yeah. employee of the MSPCA. Yeah. And it's, uh, I can't tell you enough just how, what a genuine partnership uh, that we have with the MSPCA. It's, and uh, I mean, with uh, the Berkshire Humane Society. And the PD as well. We're, we're yes. blessed to have them. Um, yeah. they've, they've taken great care of us. And like I said, we've had cooperative programs, particularly surrounding Haven, but our shelter options and, and all of that stuff. Um, it is a matter of fact, when we got, this was 2008. Yeah, 2008, I had just taken command of the department and we tragically lost one of our canine officers. Um, he suffered a medical emergency and we had to make the decision uh, to put him down. Uh, the Berkshire Humane Society launched a fundraising effort. Um, I, I can't, it, it was, it wasn't days. It, it was, we could have measured it in hours. Um, not only did they help us offset the cost of the veterinary care for that, um, that officer, but they helped us raise the funds to replace it. So wow. wow. It was incredibly generous. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about animal cruelty, um, neglect, and abuse investigations. You've been with the MSPCA, you said, for about a year and a half, two years now? Yeah, about that, yes. So what's the craziest, like, animal case you've come across in the last 18 months? Well, I've been statewide. Uh, you got an alligator yet? No. Uh, <laughs> had a call. I did not go out on this one. Somebody else did, but we had uh, 40, 50 reptiles and uh, a boa constrictor a couple days ago to check on animal control in a uh, city in Western Mass needed some help. So one of our animal welfare officers, uh, you know, went out with animal control to to check on that. And luckily, you know, the owner had corrected uh, the issues, you know, before we went. But, you know, most working in Western Mass, uh, you know, a good majority of my calls, you know, are uh, livestock and uh, equine related, you know, just with the number of farms. And, and uh, you know, typically, uh, you know, the complaints, you know, might be uh, uh, animals without proper shelter in need of medical attention, uh, not receiving proper nutrition, uh, abandoned animals. Um, uh, we had a... Uh, Animal fighting case in Boston when I first came on that they were that was worked with us in Boston PD, uh, which is I believe uh, still uh, still being litigated at this point. Dogs or chickens? Uh, it was dogs, and uh, you know it was gang related as well, and violent crime related. And um, you know we've uh, you know as our officers you know we're trained uh, in animal cruelty. There's actually a training uh, tomorrow for law enforcement in uh, Springfield PD on uh, blood sports. They call it you know animal and game cockfighting. Um, I attended a uh, training down in LSU, uh, Louisiana State, uh, for animal cruelty, and we had a large uh, animal fighting uh, component to that. 
uh, for money. Um, so uh, with the investigations, um, again, you know, it's um, education is essential uh, in these cases. Um, you know, when the letter of the law uh, may not have been broken, but um, but neglect exists, and uh, you know, and the owner failure to provide uh, an animal with their social and physical needs, and that's where you know the human side of things, you know, the empathy comes into place, you know, with people understanding the different, you know, what's going on in this person's life, you know, to get them hopefully on the right side, but. Uh, there's other cases where, you know, right off the bat, you know, it's not going to go that route and you have to take immediate emergency action for the for the welfare of the animal. And that's when uh, our law enforcement authority, you know, uh, you know, we have to wield sometimes. So I have the opportunity every year for the last several years to spend a, the not a day, a little more than half a day with the animal control officers who are going through the Animal Control Officer Association of Massachusetts ACOM Academy. Uh, so they go through their eight or 10 week program, they get certified as animal control officers. And I do a, a brief block of instruction with them. And I love doing the block of instruction, but I love more hearing some of the stories that the animal control officers tell about their unique experiences. And one of the things that struck me in the last couple of years, and um, you know, I don't envy you this, because it, it must be incredibly difficult dealing with civilian witnesses with strong opinions um, that may see something that, as you said, you know, they may disagree with, but it doesn't violate the letter of the law. Right. And so I, I think back, as I said, when I was giving you my little personal history, like my, my grandmother uh, operated a dairy farm, spent a lot of time as a kid in and around the farm. You know, and dairy farms have farm cats. Those cats are, for all intents and purposes, feral. I can imagine that, you know, if if it wasn't a working dairy farm, if we ran it as a hobby farm, and somebody had come to my grandmother's farm and saw the the lack of care, the apparent lack of care she provided for those cats, they might have been pretty alarmed and, right. and filed a report. And those cats were fine. Right? They were right. healthy. They had access to plenty of mice. They had access to spilled milk. They they were living large. They were living their best life. And they had a nice barn as well. Yeah, yeah. lots lots of hay, yeah. right? Um, and so if you were a cat owner from Manhattan who was summering in the Berkshires with your feline in a you know Gucci handbag, you might object to the cats living the farm life. But mm. those those cats are fine, and they're hunters, and that's their life. Very similarly. I grew up with dogs, um, but you know we raised long-haired huskies and/or shepherds, and for the most part, our dogs lived outside. But they always had access to the the back breezeway of the basement, and they had a doghouse, and they had plenty of food. But unless it got really, really cold, our dogs stayed on a run outside. Uh, my wife would never allow us to keep an animal in those conditions today. Right? right. Our, our dogs live inside now, um, but. You know, I don't remember any of our neighbors in the 70s ever objecting to the fact that we, you know, essentially our dogs lived outdoor lives. We take calls like that even at the police department all the time, right? My neighbor has a dog and they never let the dog inside. Okay, but is the dog fed? Does the dog have shelter? Does the dog have water? You know, does the, can the dog get into shade if the temperature goes up or someplace out of the wind if the temperature goes down? Just because you disagree with an animal owner's 
decision on how they're going to raise a dog doesn't mean it's abuse or neglect. Right, and uh, we explain that. You know, I explain that to people too. It might not be the way you take care of your dog. It might be not the way I. But you know, we have to abide by the letter of the law in our investigations as law enforcement officers. And you know, we do make recommendations too. Sometimes, well, maybe you should try this. Maybe a little bit different to some people, and uh, and uh, let them make the decision as long as it's not in violation of the law. All right. So, you were talking about the the recent case with the reptiles, and that prompted a question for me. And I I think I know the answer to this, but I don't understand why. So maybe you can educate me. You've been living in this world for a year and a half. Maybe you figured it out. So we have municipal, local law enforcement, and then we have state law enforcement, and um, you know, our, you're not a state agency, but a statewide agency, so we've got you. But when it comes to certain types of exotic animals, and so those reptiles, I would imagine some of them would have qualified for exotic animals. There's federal laws that cover the import and keeping of exotic animals. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is it the USADA that's responsible for like exotic animal regulations? Uh, the USDA. The USDA. So, yeah, they have uh, jurisdiction in regards to like also uh, uh, zoo animals as well. Uh, you know, there are there is a zoo in uh, Massachusetts and. And I think, you know, anybody that has uh, animals open for view, uh, or, you know, they're going to, you know, people are going to complain if they see something generally. But USDA is agriculture, right? Yeah. And uh, they actually have special agents. I think there's one special agent that has law enforcement authority that covers, I think, all of New England plus New York. So how does agriculture get reptiles and wild cats? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, but Massachusetts laws, too. Uh, I think uh, Department, uh, Department of Wildlife um, you know, the feds have, uh, federal government has jurisdiction, USDA, over, over uh, exotics. But um, also uh, there's Massachusetts laws, too. And, uh, you know, that and, you know, Department of uh, Wildlife, you know, uh, will get involved in those situations. I know we partnered with, uh, it was a, oh, it's slipping my mind, Chief, but, um, Earlier this year, uh, there was a uh, a wild like cat from exotic from uh, uh, Africa that somebody had illegally imported and was keeping, and they, they just let it loose in Boston. So the MSPCA seriously? Are, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it wasn't a tiger or something, but it was like a you know, it's almost looked like a, a lynx. I, it just an, you know, the breed is uh, escaping me. But uh, the MSPCA, uh, actually, you know, we sent our uh, uh, adoption and uh, rescue team out, and they captured it. And, uh, you know, the state uh, had come out. They took primary jurisdiction, the state did, because it was a, you know, illegally owned uh, exotic. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's those situations uh, do pop up. I know we had some unique pigs, too, that Tom Grenham, our chief, uh, he went out on this one with a couple of our officers that, uh, it was a traffic stop, I think a trooper had up in the highway, and it was just out in the Boston area, and there were these unique types of uh, swine that uh, were in, being hu inhumanely transported. And it's, you know, there are unique situations that we do come across. And, but, you know, my experience so far, it's unfortunately, you know, the cases that are very large, because we primarily deal with the uh, felony side of uh, animal cruelty as our department. You know, they're, you know, sad situations. And uh, 
and uh, it just amazes me, you know, sometimes how people can let that know better, you know. You know? So I, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was. I know it was during the pandemic. Um, and I don't remember which which municipality actually reported it. It was either Chicopee or Westfield. But at some point in the last couple of years, and so you would have been with MSPCA, there was reports of a large reptile in like the Connecticut River. I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was an alligator. Yeah. Somebody just yeah. released something in the wild. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast earlier this year, and uh, it's a podcast that I, I found during the pandemic. It's law enforcement specific. And so this host, he's a, he's a Massachusetts cop, and he's interviewing his guest remotely, and the guest was with NYPD, and somehow they got on animal cases. And the story was about this cop, a, a mother and her adult son that were keeping an exotic animal. And uh, they, it, they started as a pet, like as a, a, a kid, a kitten, and then eventually it just got to the point where it was so large that it, they were keeping it in an apartment like in the Bronx. And it turned on its owner and attacked him. And so NYPD has to roll and, you know, they're talking to the neighbors and the neighbors are describing just this horrific smells coming out of this apartment and these noises. And um, they ultimately ended up putting ESU over the side of the building on ropes to try to make entry. And they had to trank this cat from outside of the apartment. Like, that's a bad day at work if you got to send the emergency services <laughs> unit on an animal <laughs> call. <laughs> right? I know. They're... Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, they actually have a dedicated, uh, the ASPCA in New York, uh, they had their own law enforcement uh, component uh, for a very long time, for decades. And within the last uh, few years, uh, they got out of it. So NYPD now has dedicated uh, detectives that are assigned to the ASPCA as wow. uh, investigators in a really good core group. And uh, I met them at uh, training out of state and... Uh, you know, they are dedicated former guys that, you know, worked homicide, worked narcotics, and they're bringing their skills to the animal side of uh, investigations, and they love it. it. And I think, you know, for some of our viewers and listeners, well, I mean, so you, you know, you, you came off the, off the road, you know, for all intents and purposes, off the road as a detective lieutenant in the Mass State Police, which I got to say, you know, no disrespect to you know, the colonel. DLT in the state police is probably one of the best jobs ever. <laughs> There's that's a position like right there where you're in the sweet spot. Above that, it's going to start to get a lot more administrative. Below that, you probably don't have as much authority and control. But former detective lieutenant uh, in the state police, you know, transfers over to MSPCA as an officer, right? Uh, your boss Tommy, command level in the state police, moves over. Uh, to MSPCA, and I think for people who kind of um, are listening to this, like, why, you know, that is, is, isn't that a step in the wrong direction? Isn't that a step down? These homicide detectives in New York who move over and, and do animal cruelty. It, this is not a step in the wrong direction. This is not a step down. This is an ultra, ultra, ultra pinpoint specialization that supports and enhances investigations in all other aspects, right? You talked about a trooper in Boston on a motor vehicle stop, right, who stumbles across something. That's interdiction on the level of heroin interdiction. It's the same type of investigative skill. And having specialists who can come out and parlay that investigation, that if that was a, you know, I don't know anything about the case, but hypothetically, if the person who had those swine 
was also involved in some type of organized crime or drug trafficking or in investigation, that specialization is going to get us into that organization. It's those leverage points that if we don't have animal specialists, we're not going to be able to take advantage of. You're right, and uh, the potential is there for you know to let the uh, you know the welfare of the animals go by the wayside, not for lack of concern, but just the lack of well, what can I do in this situation? You know, you know the officer, the detective, you know might hey, it's an animal. Ah, uh, jeez, what can I do? And uh, you know, even though that officer has the authority to take action, the same as us, you know, they don't have that knowledge, and that's where we come into play. We can assist. We can work with them. And, uh, and accomplish the mission together. I get the opportunity to travel, to train down to the um, Justice, I'm gonna mess this up on the Justice Science Training and Research Institute, uh, Justice Studies uh, Training and Research Institute at Roger Williams University. And uh, one of the things that I train on while I'm down there is leadership during a critical incident and the, the, the role of a first line supervisor during the initial phases of an incident to manage the scale. And so we spend half a day working on the skills that a first-line supervisor needs to do that. And then we spend half a day structuring tabletop exercises where they can practice what we did. Uh, and I always ask, because my partner and I, we have you know, pre-scripted seven or eight scenarios that we've worked through multiple times. But we always ask our students if they've got some experience with one that they want to share. And in my last class down there, one of my students, and we, you know, we're talking about Everything from just a complicated car crash that you're going to have to have multiple resources and agencies responding up to convoluted, multi-operational period crime investigations. And I had a student share with me that they, they initiated as a patrol officer. They initiated a case that came in as an animal cruelty case uh, on a farm in Rhode Island. And by the time they resolved this Phone call report, initial caller, you know, animals, farm animals are not being cared for. It ended up being something like a 14-day, 25-agency, unified command, critical incident spanning multiple states. Uh, and this patrol officer was like, I just rolled out and said, you know, I need to look at the horses. And by the end of it, yeah. um, you know, yeah. USDA was involved, <laughs> you know, federal agencies were involved. You, I'm sure, uh, your counterparts from the uh SPCA, Rhode Island were involved. It just, you just never know, right? It's, it's, That's a, it. it's an entry point into criminal investigations and, and, and criminal right. conduct. Right. Okay, we are just about out of time. Uh, I had a final thought. Oh, yeah, this, this is important. We have to tie this back together to Tommy. So, as I said in the intro, um, I, and I don't think this was deliberate, I just, people don't know what they don't know. So police reform passed uh, December 2020. Uh, I end up serving with the Post Commission in April of 2021. We get to work. And one of the first things that the Post Commission and the Post Commission staff had to decide through our legal counsel was the list of in-scope, those are the agencies that we have the authority to pass regulations and and certify for, and out-of-scope agencies. And the decision point on who was in-scope and who was out-of-scope really came down to some very, very generic and vague language in the legislation, right? We didn't get to just pick the list. We, we had to read point by point, section by section, what the legislature passed. 
and for a variety of reasons that are too complicated to get into in the next three minutes, uh, MSPCA and the Boston Animal Rescue League were deemed to be out of scope, outside of the control of the Post Commission. And that was problematic on a variety of fronts. But one of the reasons it was problematic was that people like you or the chief, uh, you know, uh, Chief Granum, who were experienced sworn law enforcement officers were going to be put in jeopardy of losing your peace officer status because there wasn't a path for you to get certified. Yes. And that not only was it not fair to longstanding, experienced, qualified officers, it, it was a slap in the face to this relationship that we've been talking about. And so, you know, for Tommy as the agency head, but also because of his, you know, his personal stake in this, he reached out for me and said, hey, you know, what can we do? And I, I had no idea. But we put our general counsel to work on it. And ultimately, um, you know, because it just made sense, we were able to go back and amend the the list of in-scope agencies to include MSPCA and the Boston Animal Rescue League so that fully sworn police officers who came from another job where they would have been eligible for certification, who maintained their credentials and maintained their in-service and were still doing peace officer work would be able to be certified by the post commission and maintain those certifications as long as they didn't have a break in service. And I was very, very pleased and proud to offer commentary on behalf of the MSPCA as a post commissioner to rally my fellow post commissioners to support that change. And so there have been a ton of wins as a post commissioner, but that one was a win. <laughs> well, thank you, Chief. Uh, without your support, um, I don't know where this would have ended up after over 100 years of uh, having this authority if we lost it all of a sudden. Yeah. So and ultimately, I think the animals you know, potentially would have suffered. Absolutely. And the animals would have suffered, but so would the strength of the investigations yes. across the Commonwealth. Yes. So we'll take that one. Thank well, you. Bill, thank you. thanks for coming in and joining us this morning. We generally wrap up with a quick little lightning round. You got plans for the weekend? Uh, well, I got uh, my granddaughters coming over, uh, uh, over my house uh, with my daughters, and we're going to have, uh, I guess my daughter's putting on a Halloween uh, Halloween uh, shenan- uh, shindig at uh, my house this nice. weekend. So, nice. How old's your granddaughter? Uh, five years old. Nice. Yeah, good years. Lieutenant, plans for the weekend? Halloween weekend with the kids. Halloween weekend with the kids. Super excited. I have obviously, based on my uh, revelations on the show last week, had significant changes in my household. So between travel for training and a seven-month-old living in the house, I haven't actually been able to get on the mats in over a week, so I'm looking forward to a little bit of training. But we're also going to experience Halloween for the first time with an infant, so it's going to be a little bit interesting. So we are out of time. I want to thank you all for tuning in to what has been a new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Happy Halloween, everyone. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the parade. Enjoy trick-or-treat. Until we come back and see you next time, be healthy, be safe, but more importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.